and This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. Thus stands the case between God and us. We are entered into covenant with him for this work, and if we have taken out a commission. Now if the Lord shall please to hear us and bring us in peace to the place we desire, then he has ratified this covenant and sealed our commission, and will expect strict performance of the articles contained in it. But if we neglect to observe these articles, which are the ends we have propounded, and dissembling with our God shall embrace this present world and prosecute our carnal intentions, seeking great things for ourselves and our posterity, the Lord will surely break out in wrath against us and be revenged of such a perjured people, and he will make us to know the price of the breach of such covenant. Welcome to Viewpoint. Such are the words of a godly attorney by the name of John Winthrop in 1630. Unloading four boatloads of Puritans from the uh, Arabella, the principal boat in which he was his flagship state uh, uh, ship, he wrote this statement called A Model of Christian Charity And some have said that it is the best expression of the ideal of what America was to be and become. And it reveals the seed from which America was conceived, the spiritual womb from which the nation was born. A vision for a covenant community, a covenantal community of people. And so today on Viewpoint, we are going to take a look at this because The reality is that if indeed John Winthrop was right, speaking prophetically in 1630, we are in deep, deep trouble because we are being uh, made to know the price of such a breach of covenant as we look across the land of the free that's increasingly becoming only the home of the brave. Well, to help us with uh, this discussion, we have invited Marshall Foster to join us back here on this program. Uh, Marshall is a veteran uh, historian of the American experience and life. Uh, He has written a number of books, the most recent of which is in my hands, called The American Covenant. The American Covenant, the untold story, and he's here to deliver the Marshall Plan the Marshall Foster Plan, here on Viewpoint Today. Marshall, it's good to have you from the West Coast. Jack, it's great to have you uh, have me on. It's a wonderful morning. Well, it is, and uh, you have been uh, engaged in communicating the heart of this country from the position of our true founders for many, many years. Uh, I'm guesstimating it's around uh, 40 to 50 years. Uh, yes, yeah. I started our institute, the World History Institute, uh, in 1976. Now, before that, I was a missionary on the college campus with Campus Crusade for Christ. Uh-huh. And, uh, college. But, uh, yeah, so we've been doing this for uh, almost half a century, and, and the book, The American Covenant, the original one, was actually written in the 80s and sold uh, well over 100,000 copies. And uh, I give seminars on it for two decades. So we've kind of got a lot of experience in traveling the country, teaching on how we need to get back with our 
our covenant with God if we want to survive as a nation. Well, how do you get back with your covenant with God when the President of the United States uh, delivers a National Day of Prayer proclamation and refuses to use the word God or any reference to him? The first time any American president refused to use the word God in a National Day of Prayer declaration. We're talking about Joe Biden. What do you make of that? Well, I think uh, that's uh, that's that's the way he is. I mean, I think he should be honest to the fact that uh, he does not believe in God, at least not the true God. And uh, it's it's so obvious from his his lifestyle, uh, specifically his work, what he does and what he stands for. And uh, so uh, I wouldn't expect him to be strongly religious uh, or a Christian, and, uh, and I don't think he is. But that's where it comes down to us. The keeping of the covenant in a compact or covenant form of government is of all the people. So if you have some outliers, if you have some government bureaucrats who have their own secular humanism they want to rest on, that's okay, but they don't, we don't have to go with them because we will walk with the covenant. We will walk with our founders. And that's, uh, that's going to make the difference, I think, in the future. The interesting thing to me is that there are only two nations that I'm aware of on the face of the earth, historically, that have been born on a covenant. One, the first, was Israel. God made a covenant with the people, the Hebrew people coming out of Egypt uh, there at Mount Sinai. Uh, Actually, it's referred to as their marriage covenant. Uh, God said uh, that if you'll do these things, then I'm going to bless you. You're going to be my people, a peculiar people unto me. And they said, I do. So (laughs) right there, they had the marriage covenant. Then uh, back in 1620 and then 1630 again, Uh, America entered into a covenant with God. We just read part of that covenant, which, by the way, I include in the appendix of my book, Renewing the Soul of America, because it's so critical and important. We, We need to be brought to remembrance of that. So what do you make of two nations now, one Jewish, the other Gentile, the only two nations in the history of the world born on a covenant with God? Well, it's, it's interesting, because if you look at things from a biblical historical perspective, all nations are literally in covenant with God. I think John Winthrop alluded to it in your introduction, that, you know, we're either going to, we're either going to be blessed or we're going to be cursed, and, and uh, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. So throughout the ages, whether nations, Babylon and Rome and Greece, whether they knew it or not, they were, they were before God's face, and they had a covenant, but they were living in a broken covenant. They had they had forgotten what the Hebrews had taught the world back in the 12th century BC, and by the time the, the Greeks and the Romans came along, they just uh, they had perverted it, and um, they might they might have called it a republic or a democracy, but it really wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't built upon the biblical concept of faith in God being the key to it, because the covenant that works nationwide, that works in in and, and has only worked in America and in the the, the Hebrew Republic from 3,000 years ago is a covenant between God and the people. And and that's that's unique in history because because the nations of the world, most of them were founded by kings and counts and, and warlords mm-hmm. who come in and take over for some other warlords. And so in our case we were blessed because we were able to create a nation in the wilderness three thousand miles away from Europe and all the power bases. And so they actually set up with the Mayflower Compact their own form of government on the Mayflower. 
Well, interestingly, the Mayflower Compact began with the words, in the name of God, amen. That's that. We covenant. And then right after that, after you talk about how King James is their dreaded sovereign, (laughs) they said, said, yes, we covenant together with one another to form a civil body politic. Covenantal forms of government are unique in history. They seldom ever last. Uh, and, and the reason because. is because we don't remember. And that's the reason why, over and over again, in the Old Testament, we find God telling the uh, Hebrew people, the Jewish pe- then Jewish people, uh, remember, 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 remember the mighty acts of God. And uh, the problem is we don't remember. And now in our forgetful state, we are in deep, deep trouble in the land of the free, increasingly becoming the home of the brave called America. We'll be right back with Marshall Foster after this, friends, and make his book available to you, The American Covenant. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chrismeyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. I'm Chuck Chris Meyer. Today we're talking with Marshall Foster, a veteran writer and speaker concerning the matter of America's godly heritage, referred to as the American Covenant, the American Covenant with God. He calls it the untold story. And it's a $27 book, yours for $25, on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Again, if you're writing a check, add $5 for postage and handling. The American Covenant, the untold story. Well, it was told but forgotten. And it has not been told for a very long time but for uh, gentlemen like Marshall Foster and uh, even David Barton, who for the past 40 years or so have done a yeoman's job of trying to bring to remembrance our godly heritage and that covenant. Now, I'm thinking back, Marshall, we were talking about Israel and America, and uh, the earlier founders of this country, that is America, saw it as very much like Israel coming out of Egypt and entering the wilderness. So when the settlers came here, the pilgrims and the Puritans came here from not so jolly old England and uh, uh, Europe, they saw this as a new Canaan, a new Israel, a Gentile version of Israel. And they said, what uh, Israel and Jewish people failed to do, we are going to do. What our English churches failed to do, we are going to do, and we're going to live it out in truth so that it can be seen uh, clearly as a nation that honors the Lord. Well, then along comes a guy by the name of Alexis de Tocqueville in 1830, 
And uh, he was a secular Frenchman uh, trying to figure out what it was that made America great uh, since America had a, a revolution and France had had a revolution, but they went radically different ways. And uh, so he looks at our country for nine months, then discovers what he believes is at the very heart of the country. Now, he doesn't use, as I, don't rec- I, as I recall, he doesn't use the word covenant, but what he does do is reveal the obvious, on-the-ground manifestation in the life of the American people of the existence of that covenant. And he says, you know, when I came to America, it wasn't the great harbors, it wasn't the natural resources, it, it wasn't any of that that made her great. It was... America's great because America's good, but why is America good? Because the entire country, all of them, embrace the authority of the Bible as God's word, and they walk in the fear of the Lord, and it's revealed in the great prosperity and direction of their country. Now, that having been said, uh, it seems that he saw on the ground, the reality of that covenant being lived out in real time right here on these shores. Well, that's right. That's right. In fact, he said, I looked for the greatness of America in, uh, in the harbors and, and the cities. He said, I didn't find it until I walked into the churches and I found the pulpit, the flame was righteous. Mm-hmm. And so there he found the difference. The people had been trained in this biblical form of Christianity that went back to the Hebrew Republic. Uh, Chuck, you had mentioned the pilgrims when they came over. You know, it was the pilgrims that actually got to know the Hebrew scholars who had been persecuted and came to Leiden, Leiden, Holland, where they had been exiled. And for the that exact nine-year period is the time in which Comenius and various other Hebrew scholars who uh, who uh, had studied the the Torah in depth as it related to government, uh, they, that he that one professor was a professor with John John Robinson, the pastor of the pilgrims. And the pilgrims were actually trained in the story of the Hebrew Republic and how the foundations were built upon electing representatives, having a, an authority, but not having a king, uh, having an equal law justice system where you elected the judges and you had a Senate and you had a House. That was all developed by Moses. And that was, that was given to the pilgrims before they came over. So our Republican government then was came over on the Mayflower and came over on all the other settlers' ships uh, with that same worldview, and then they set up these little commonwealths or these little communities, I call them uh, little republics, uh, in, a- in every town mm-hmm. that were built upon these same principles. And that's what made America great, and that's still America's greatness. Chuck, if we can get back to the fact that each one of our little towns is a republic, our, and our church is a republic built on those principles of accountability and, and covenant, then we can uh, we can rebuild this country from the grassroots up. Yeah, but we're being told that, no, it's not a republic, it's a democracy. Our democracy, our democracy, our democracy. And everybody's calling for the open, unfettered rule of uh, an ungodly majority, uh, which basically our founders saw as the ultimate despotism. Right. It's like uh, the French Revolution, liberté fraternité debauchere, right? <laughs> you know, that's what you get, right? You exactly. Know, if, you, if you want to have a democracy where the mob rules, 
then the mob will rule. And that's what we saw last summer, and that's what we're going to see again this summer in America, that the mob is going to rule. And when, if the mob wants to change the law or wants to have its way because it doesn't feel good, then the mob should get what it wants. That's majoritarian rule. That's not a republic. A republic right. is a nation of laws in which the, the law is king. And ultimately, God's law rests above even civil law. And then the people hold to that, and we, we protect minority rights, and we do not change the law because a majority of people says, kill all the blondes, we don't kill the blondes, right? Right. And uh, that's, the, that's the power of the republic over a democracy. And, uh, and when we lose that, and we're losing it right now, only because of ignorance. The republic is still there. The Constitution still comes up out of the ground, out of a safe every morning. It's not that we don't have the structure of a republic. We don't have the heart and mind of a republic. Exactly. So we're actually, Marshall, it seems that we're actually not in a forgetful state. We're in a rebellious state. There's a difference. Yes, that's right. I think we did forget. Uh, and I think that the, I think the rebellion after World War II began to spread through the baby boomer generation, and it would just have a good time and you know get your latte and get your bigger house and enjoy your life and enjoy your sports. And and uh, the Lord went down the totem pole in terms of the importance in our life. Excuse the term totem pole. <laughs> well, he really did, and we erected we erected new totem poles, including uh, you know the the golden bull or uh, calf, uh, heading up uh, Wall Street. Well, back in 18, uh, 1983, a fellow by the name of Alexander Solzhenitsyn gave an, expect, uh, an acceptance speech for the Templeton Prize for Progress in Religion. And here he was, a Russian who escaped the gulags, and he, he made an amazing statement. He said, we are witnesses to the devastation of the world, be it imposed or voluntary, undergone. The entire 20th century is being sucked into the vortex of atheism and self-destruction. He went on to say different parts of the world have followed different paths, but today they are all approaching the threshold of common ruin. And he was including the United States. That was in 1983. We've been warned. Oh, yeah, he saw it. He went back to Russia about 10 years later because he said, I see more freedom uh, building in Russia than I do in America. Isn't that uh, amazing? Yeah, and uh, it's a sad reality, but we have, especially in the last, since Ronald Reagan died from about that time forward, we have truly uh, rebelled against our Republican principles. And um, and so it's going to make it tough. But, you know, all revivals and all restorations come at hard times when the people wake up and remember how far they have fallen. And I think we're just about ready to hit that. This this summer, I think it's going to literally hit the fan, as they say. Well, uh, it, it involves the big little word, if. Uh, the word if is the biggest little word in the Bible, and uh, it, it is really the biggest little word in our lives. Everything is if. If only, if only, if only. And uh, we are on the cusp of absolute uh, destruction if we do not repent, if we do not recover the vision of our earliest founders. Uh, Which brings us to another question. Uh, And you have a chapter, uh, America is not the end of the world. 
Now, what do you mean by that? Because there are those who kind of envision, well, if we're a nation with a godly heritage and uh, a nation of, of covenant, then we are the end of the world. So what do you mean? Well, yeah, I think uh, God's purpose is much bigger. Uh, I remember William Bradford come out, came over in the Mayflower. He was their governor for 30 years and wrote mm-hmm. their biography. In it, he says, he says uh, we've come here to propagate the gospel of Christ to the remotest parts of the world. Yea, that we could be but stepping stones of the, for the promotion of so great a work. And what he was saying is that America is not the end of the world. He said, we're coming to America, but we're coming to America with the idea that now we're going to be a stepping stone. We're going to light a candle. And then from here, the gospel is going to go to Asia and Africa and, and South America and all over the world. At that point, most people didn't even hardly know there was another continent sitting there. Mm-hmm. And uh, we barely got past Columbus, right? But the truth is that, that uh, the, the vision was a worldwide vision. And the vision goes back to the cultural mandate in the Garden of Eden to be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth and subdue the nations of the earth. And and to make them into, I believe, Christian nations. That's what Matthew Henry said, the Great Commission of Matthew 23, ties together with that cultural commission where Jesus says, go and disciple the nations. So when the pilgrims and the Puritans uh, came over to America in the 17th century, they envisioned that they were setting the stage for the spreading of the gospel and God's view of life in every institution to every nation of the world. They were not defeated. They were not frightened. They were not scared. Even though they were persecuted and they were outnumbered, they went ahead and did it anyway because their faith was in God that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. And so in light of that, hey, we've got God on our side. We don't care how big they are. And so they were willing to, 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 to test that. And sure enough, the greatest missionary activity in the world has taken place because of the founding of the American Republic. And most of the missionaries and most of the people that have ever been reached by far have been as a result of that missionary movement. So it wasn't the founding of an American democracy. It was the founding of the American Republic. And uh, it's so important for us to understand that we are not a democracy. Uh, We're being deceived into thinking that we are. And uh, that's what Satan thought that heaven was. Satan, Lucifer, thought that heaven was a democracy and therefore he could disagree with God. Uh, he could uh, elevate himself as a co-equal, uh, co-regent with God. And he can even co-opt uh, the angels of heaven to follow in his democratic mindset. Uh, that was the beginning of democracy right there, wasn't it? Well, exactly. Exactly. To the point where it's being carried out today. Uh, I'm a man. I just... Uh, you know, there's a man that's going to lift the lift in the Olympics for as a woman. Mm-hmm. Why? Because he says he's a woman. So it's not the fact that the world is the way it is because of the natural laws of the universe. No, I have declared myself to be the arbiter of of the very physical facts of my life, and I am going to change the course of history for everyone else because of my view. All right. Well, that's- let me give you a quote. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but back in 1997. William Jefferson Clinton went to Southern California, uh, where you and I uh, were at that time. You're still out there. And uh, he made the first effort. It was the first time a sitting American president 
had intentionally chosen to speak to an exclusively homosexual audience. And here's what he said. We are, in practical ways, changing the immutable ideals that have guided us from the beginning. So for those who aren't familiar with the word immutable, it means unchangeable, doesn't it? Yeah. So what he said was, we are, and here's the President of the United States, who carried his big black Bible around for photo ops. He said, we are changing the unchangeable ideals that is God's view. We're changing all that that has guided us from the beginning. I don't think there has ever been a statement more uh, brazen, requiring more chutzpah than that statement from an American president, except perhaps what we're hearing from the current president. Uh, This is an indication of what pure democracy looks like, that we can arrogate ourselves even over the God who created us. We'll be right back and talk about this matter of covenant, the American covenant. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, under the marriage section, God has marriage on his mind. Chuck has some great resources to strengthen your marriage. First off, a fact sheet on the state of the marital union, a fact sheet on the state of ministry, marriage, and morals. SaveUS.org. Marriage, divorce, and remarriage. What does the Bible really teach about this? Find all of this at SaveUS.org. Also, a letter to pastors, the Hosea Project, SaveUS.org, and many more resources to strengthen your marriage. It's all on Chuck's website, SaveUS.org. Again, you can listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcasts live and archived. Save America Ministries website at SaveUS.org. Welcome back to Viewpoint. Again, we're talking with Marshall Foster, a uh, veteran uh, historian of the American covenant, the American life and history. And he has a wonderful book here before us, The American Covenant, The Untold Story, uh, certainly untold for a very long period of time. And it's yours, a $27 book, yours for $25 on our website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Again, writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Now, Marshall, I understand that Kirk Cameron uh, has embraced this book big time, uh, calling it, you're calling this the American Campfire Revival Edition, uh, what's going on with Kirk Cameron in this book? Well, Kirk and I have been friends now for about uh, 14 years, and mm-hmm. uh, we lived in the same town. We started Kirk together, and we got to be really good friends. And Kirk really caught the concept of America's Christian history and of restoring our country. He has a deep, deep concern for our nation. And so uh, he uh, he just, on his own, came up with the idea. I was actually sitting in his house down there in January in Southern California, and uh, while I was with him, uh, he, he decided to do something, but he didn't tell me until three days later he announced to the world that for the next hundred days he was going to have a campfire in his backyard and he was going to teach the American people 
the American Christian story, and he's going to do it out of a book called The American Covenant by Marshall Foster. Wow. Said, oh, that book needs revising. In fact, I've been working on a revision. Uh, wish you would have told me here. So I, my wife and I went uh, crash course for the next uh, month and a half and re- rebuilt it, uh, developed it even greater than it was back 30 years ago. And now it's, it's out in a completely new form with 100 pages of more new material and 20 new stories telling the story of how America was built on a covenant with God, uh, what were the founding principles, uh, what is the Constitution, uh, how can we restore a nation that's been lost, and how can we do it peacefully. We, we tried to cover a lot of the major issues with questions and answers throughout the book. And then uh, now study guides, uh, study groups are starting throughout the country. He sold the book, of course, throughout the 100 days. It just ended last week. And now he's coming back in about a week or a week and a half. He's coming back for another year. He's going to be doing this, uh, it looks like, almost every night to the nation through Facebook and on to other platforms. There's an audience of about three and a half million people that are studying with him every night. Wow. And Thursday night's going to be Patriot Night, and we're going to be actually studying through the American Covenant book um, is one of, the, one of the things we'll be doing. So anyway, we want to we want to get the people to go back and learn from them for themselves, the covenant uh, and the history of our country, remembering how far we have fallen. That's the beginning of repentance. Yes. That's what Jesus said in Revelation chapter 2, you know. Remember how far you have fallen. You know, the problem today is that we've fallen so far that most of Americans can't even remember because they don't know what to remember. They can't remember they forgot. That's they exactly, because they didn't forget. They didn't forget because that means they never rem- they never knew. And so you have to start almost all over again with uh, re-educating uh, the people of our country as to who, in fact, we were. We don't understand uh, the nature of what America is, what America was intended to be. Our young people are so devoid of understanding that it's embarrassing. Yes, that's why the Marxists call it um, cancel culture. They simply don't argue the issue. They just cancel the culture. Uh, They cancel anything about it. They cancel any discussion about it. No more free speech platforms. I used to argue and fight with the the communists on the campus during the riots and revolutions of the 60s Uh because we had a free speech platform. At least we could talk about it, right? There are no more free speech platforms on the college campuses. They won't allow it because they don't want free speech. They pontificate from their pulpits uh, in their classrooms, and they literally dictate what the people or the children learn. They are brainwashing 60 million children every morning. This is exactly what happened with the French Revolution. Uh, In the French Revolution, they had a revolution just a few years after ours, and uh, they seem to be following a similar pattern, liberty, equality, and fraternity, but out of it came neither liberty nor equality nor fraternity, and uh, they had nothing but destruction. But in order to achieve their goals, another attorney by the name of Robespierre uh, choreographed the French people to despise God, to despise his covenant with the nations, and to destroy or cancel every aspect of the connection to the Bible, the connection to a creator, even so far as to change the calendar and the days of the week. Uh, that's pretty pretty raw, but 
in a, in effect, cancel culture hasn't begun in America. It began in the French Revolution. Absolutely, and that's the way you do it. You either kill the people or you kill the people who can read. It goes on right to Paul Pot in, in uh, Cambodia, where in the 70s he simply killed all the people who had glasses, uh, anybody who could read, and he beat them to death with sticks. Mm. He got rid of those who understood the heritage of Cambodia so that he could rewrite their minds with the communist pablum of lies. And that's what's happened. That's why people believe it. Under 30 years old, they're tending, trending toward, toward communism in America. Uh, it's just, it's astounding. Uh, they, they really think that this is uh, the best thing since sliced bread. And the reality is they are substituting man's best hope for God's ordained plan and purpose. And uh, we write about that in my book, Seduction of the Saints. Uh, the nature of uh, deception and seduction as it relates to, uh, say, globalism and communism and socialism and all of these various isms uh, are alternatives to God's covenant with the people. Now, you say in your book that... Uh, the, you talk about the genius of the American Republic. What is the genius aspect of that? Well, I think the, the key to the genius part of it is to understand the Hebrew Republic, or what, what I would call the divine constitution. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if you understand that they believe that their form of government and their society was biblically founded, they had principles that were immutable. You use those terms. They're unchanging. They believed those principles were, were, were unstoppable, and that if they would walk according to those principles, God would be with them. And that's what that story on the Arrow Bell is all about, John Winter. Sure. Laying it out. We shall either be a city on a hill, or we shall become a mockery to the nations, is what he was saying. And so, so it is with us. If the secret, our secret is not our strength of our money, our resources, our army. The secret of America is remembering who we are, remembering that we're in covenant with God. And we have got the ability to go back. If we as Christians, we're the largest single community still in the country, 80, 90 million strong. If 10 or 20 million of us would get serious for our covenants and stand for the liberties that have been given to us by our forefathers, those inalienable rights, we could turn this country around in a decade. It's always a committed minority, isn't it, Chuck? It is a very small minority, you which tells you, which which testifies that we have a very, very, very small remnant of truly committed Christians in this country, from pulpit to pew. Yep, yep. I think that's true. I think that we've been compromised uh, since World War II. Uh, Christianity's gone down by at least fifty percent, if not more. The spirit and of think- wokeness has replaced the spirit of righteousness. It's a counterfeit righteousness. And that's why we need a great awakening, and, and uh, I do see that coming uh, after the four other great awakenings the Bible had. Uh, they always are preceded by hard times, war or depression, pandemic. Uh, but at that time of great crisis, people tend to turn back to God. When well, they're happy and they're all at Disneyland, nobody wants to think about God. They want to just take care of themselves. Well, people thought that's what was going to happen. In fact, uh, many pastors were announcing after the 9-11 attack 
that uh, we're having a great awakening, and this is exactly what we've been praying for. But two months later, uh, the news media and so on concluded that whatever benefit there had been had already reversed itself and that the country actually was receding rather than progressing uh, spiritually, so much so that on April 5th, 1993, Time magazine came out with what I think is one of the most profound uh, cover stories of all time. On the front cover was a cross. In the lower right-hand corner were these words, the generation that forgot God. Now, that was talking about the generation before 1993 when we formed Save America Ministries. That generation before. So here's what they said. Americans are flooding back to church now after Gulf War I, but they said church will never again be the same. Here's the reason Time Magazine gave. Church will never again be the same because Americans are looking for a custom-made God, one made in their own image. In other words, Americans were becoming their own God. That's pretty serious. Yeah, that and that that we're going to have to drop that God, uh, or He's going to enslave us, and uh, and we will be gone as a republic. So this next decade will tell the tale, won't it? Well, it and, certainly uh, will. And uh, people ask me if there's hope, and uh, my answer is, in the natural, no, we've gone too far. So the only hope is in a massive spiritual revival first among professing Christians, and then echoing from that a massive spiritual awakening generally in the country. How do you respond to that? Yes, exactly. Uh, from the home, it's really the, the, the Shema. It begins with the declarations of Moses. It begins with the, the same strategy given on the Forefathers Monument in Plymouth that we talk about in our book. And, and Kirk and I did a movie called Monumental about that strategy. Yeah, great, great movie. External to external. It's all about faith in God and having morality from the commandments and having the Holy Spirit empower you to obey it. And then and then a law-based system built upon those commandments. That's where you get English common law, which came down through the Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. all the way back from Alfred the Great and all the way back to Patrick of Ireland. Amazing. We'll get right back to this after the break, friends. Matthew, excuse me, uh, Marshall Foster joining us with his book, The American Covenant, The Untold Story. We'll be right back. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. We 
We open the program here on Viewpoint today with the words from a godly attorney, John Winthrop, back in 1630. Before he unloaded four boatloads of Puritans on these shores, he penned on the flagship Arabella uh, a wonderful piece called A Model of Christian Charity. It's in the appendix of my book, Renewing the Soul of America, uh, because it is so important. It set the stage for the entire country. And uh, he spoke in that model of Christian charity these words. The only way to avoid shipwreck and to provide for our posterity is to follow the counsel of Micah, that is the prophet Micah, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And I had that a, a beautiful plaque of that on my law office wall for years and years, Marshall. But he went on to say, we must delight in each other, make others' conditions our own, rejoice together, mourn together, labor and suffer together, always having before our eyes our commission, that is, covenant and common work, our community as members of the same body. So shall we keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. The Lord will be our God and delight to dwell among us as his own people, and he will command a blessing on us in all our ways, and we shall find that the God of Israel is among us. And ten of us shall be able to resist a thousand of our enemies. And the Lord will make our name a praise and a glory, for we will be considered that we shall be like a city upon a hill, quoting Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. That's where it came from. That's what Ronald Reagan quoted 200 years later, a city upon a hill. But what God had in mind with the city upon a hill, or what Jesus had in mind, was that we would be a light to the world, a light to the nations. Jesus said, look, I'm the light of the world while I'm here, but I'm going back to the Father. Now you're the light of the world, and don't hide your light. Don't put it under a bush, but let it be seen all over the world. But then he also said, but if the light that is in you be darkness, how great is that darkness? Isn't that really our problem in America today? Even those of us who purport to be carriers of the light, the light bearers, actually have not done a righteous job of carrying it. And darkness is uh, covering the earth, gross darkness the people, including our own country. That's right, brother. We are, you know, Second Corinthians talks about us being uh, the ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors of God, calling to the world, be reconciled to God. Literally, to become a Christian and to be a part of his kingdom is to be a warrior, uh, to be standing against the world system and to be standing for God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. And to do that, we have to go and actually evangelize and love these people, and we have to go into every institution and uh, institute a biblical form of government for the sake of everybody. We're not trying to do this by force. We do it because this is the right thing to do, and we convince people around us like the early Americans did, and Americans did for the last 300 years. Well, some people but would the, say, well, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to evangelize. But here's the problem. The Great Commission that Jesus gave, which is what the founders of our country and John Winthrop understood, was not rooted in evangelism as we think about it. It was rooted in discipleship. And the sum total of discipleship, as Jesus said, 
is teaching people to obey everything I have commanded because they're serving me. What do you make of the fact then, Marshall, that the word obey has become a four-letter word even in God's own house today? In fact, it's the most hated word in the church. By the admission of many pastors and parachurch leaders right on this program. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, hyper-grace. Uh, <laughs> okay. Hyper-grace, what yeah. does that mean? You can't have too much too grace. We are saved by grace, but that grace, when it saves, it transforms. Exactly. And, and it's, it's, uh, if it's not transforming, if we're not changed, if, we're, if the Church is not out there, it doesn't mean it's perfect. We're rough and our edges are rough, but... You know, we go out and we, we care for our wounded. We don't throw them away. Uh, but thank God for the man that's in the battle. I like what Winston Churchill has said, you know, give me the man who's willing to be in the battle, even though he's, you know, you know blood-torn and, and cut up. At least he's, he's, he's in the battle. But if, we're, if we've got our, our sweet, you know, hymns and our good times, we can't hide out in the church and expect that the culture is going to leave us alone. Yeah. Well, that, that requires... That requires... Yeah. Uh, if we're going to be the light of the world and the city set on a hill, that means that the light of the gospel is going to be revealed not just in our words, but even more so in our lives. In other words, right living. Right living, that is, ways that are pleasing to God, consistent with his word, his will, and his ways. If we were really doing that, we would never have had the divorce debacle that we have today, which has actually laid the foundation for the homosexual advance and the transgender advance and every other perversion coming down the pike. Because God's people, pastor and people alike, began to approve that which God said he hated, the rest has been history. We just don't want to obey God, do we? No, that's uh, that's been our story, and so far we're sticking to it. But uh, again, let's <laughs> pray that 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 tune changes, and that's what your program's all about. Okay, uh, by God's grace, I do see it. I see it beginning to turn, and we just pray it's not too late, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Now, uh, hope rises eternal in the human breast, but hope has to have an anchor. It has to be rooted in truth, doesn't it? Not good feelings, not some uh, esoteric kind of hope out there in the wild blue yonder, but it has to be rooted in substance. And that substance is the authority of the Word of God, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, Authority of the Word of God, and and that has to be understood and studied nightly by His people. When the pilgrims came over, when the Puritans came over, they brought not any gold or silver to speak of. They brought over their Bibles. And every night they would have an open Bible uh, that they would put on the table, and they, the father of the home would teach the Word of God. The Word of God was the center of their discussions about government, about economics, mm-hmm. about what to do about the Native Americans, what to do about the, the British. These were always brought back to the Word of God, and so they had God's wisdom going forward as to what they should do. When do you unite? When do you separate? When do you, when do you call a revolution? When do you disobey the king? When do you obey? Those are all principles that are taught in the Scriptures. But if you don't follow the scriptural principle of war and no war, then you end up following your own feelings. 
Mm. And that gets you either frightened into a corner like Adolf Hitler's Germany, where everybody went along, or you end up with the French Revolution and you end up cutting the heads off of all your good people. So uh, feelings have become Lord, and the faith has taken short shrift, and that's because fathers have abandoned their role. You know, a few years ago, I wrote a book called Hearts of the Fathers, Leaving a Legacy That Lasts, based on Malachi chapter 4, that before the great and terrible day of the Lord, God in his great mercy and and, uh, kindness would uh, send forth the spirit of Elijah the prophet again to call the hearts of the fathers to the children, hearts of the children to the fathers. It seems to me that if we have any hope of seeing uh, godliness restored in America and God's covenant with his people, we the people, it has to begin with the fathers and grandfathers, men, husbands, fathers, and grandfathers in our homes. But unfortunately, men's hearts aren't there. Speak to the men, will you? Yes, well, I think this is it, man. Um, we're, we're either going to fight, uh, again, another famous Churchill quote, I believe, we're either going to fight when there's a hope of victory, <clears throat> or we're going to fight when only the, our honor is at stake and we're doomed to doomed to defeat. Um, this is going to be a mess when people look at us 10 years later and say, where were you? Where, where were you, you, you baby boomers and you Gen Xers? Why didn't you take a stand and we were left with marching into the camps? Um, you, we've got to take a stand. And that does not mean we go to war. It means we wake up and we go back to the Shema. We go back to uh, obedience to God, training our children in the morning. We rise up and lie down, uh, taking our obedience to God's word and law into civil government, which is, which is commanded by the, by the commands of God in the Hebrew Republic as well as in the early America. So we're the ones that are accountable. And this is what excites me, Chuck, is that Christian self-government, the most powerful force mm-hmm. that's ever been unleashed in the history of mankind is the self-governing Christian. He is the most powerful force. You take a self-governing Christian who loves Jesus Christ, who's tied together with his brothers and sisters in a local community, they, a small minority of them, can transform the world, as the pilgrims did. Exactly. Robert Winthrop, uh, back in the, uh, about 1838, he was a descendant of John Winthrop, and uh, he made, in a speech, he made a statement that said, we will either be governed by a power within or by a power without, either by the Bible or by the bayonet. Uh, that was a very powerful statement. And uh, his predecessor, John Winthrop, the godly attorney, said as he wrapped up his model of Christian charity, if we deal falsely with God in this work that we have undertaken and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us, we shall be made a story and a byword throughout the world. We will open the mouths of the enemies of God to speak evil of the ways of God, and we shall shame the faces of many of God's worthy servants and cause their prayers to be turned into curses upon us till we are forced out of the new land where we are going. Then he concluded by saying, Well, yes, but there's now set before us life and good, death and evil, 
in that we are commanded this day to love the Lord our God and to love one another, to walk in his ways and to keep his commandments, his laws, and the articles of our covenant with him. Therefore, let us choose life that we and our seed may live by obeying his voice and cleaving to him, for he is our life and our prosperity. What an amazing heritage we have through men, a godly attorney like that man who set the course, set the stage uh, before us for what God had intended for us to be and become, not only for ourselves and our posterity, but also for the entire world to prepare the way of the Lord for history's final hour. That's how I see it. How do you see it? Well, I think that's, I think it's right. They said it well then. You know, the truths of God are forever. Uh, things don't change. People are the same. Uh, we have different technology today, but sin is sin, and, and walking with God is walking with God. And so as we do it God's way, this is the beauty of it. There's a just God who rules in the affairs of men, as Samuel Adams said. And he shall raise up friends. No, I mean, Patrick Henry said that. Mm-hmm. I said, oh, yeah, Patrick Henry, you're right there. I can't beat you on that one. So Patrick Henry, and, and you know, and he, he rules in the affairs of men, and he shall raise up friends on our behalf. So the, our founders understood that, that if, if we're obedient to God and if we walk with him, there is a just God who is going to, he's going to judge the wicked, and he's going to take down those with, who plot against him and his son. And I think that's true in time and space as well as in the future kingdom. I think that we're going to see it. it, it there's a curse of iniquity to a third and a fourth generation that comes down upon people who rebel against God. Mm. And there's a blessing to a thousand generations promised in Deuteronomy 6. For those who love him and keep his commandments, I'll bless you to a thousand generations. Uh, Well, that is absolutely right. And uh, we have seen the wooings. We have experienced the warnings. Uh, Truly, we have a godly heritage. But if we worship the the, uh, gold and the results of that heritage, and we lose the worship of the God of that heritage, we're engaged in massive dialogue. deception and idolatry and unfortunately that's where we are today there is hope on the horizon but that hope is built in jesus christ and his righteousness trust and obey for there's no other way for the american covenant to be fully expressed again on these shores to usher in the time of the second coming god bless get a copy of the book american covenant 25 dollars will put it in your hands it's on our website saveus.org and uh, pray for the future of our country. And men, let's get aboard and become the spiritual leaders of our homes. You've been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home. 